Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here. We are going to talk Mizzou football, Purdue, SEC football, Ole Miss, Alabama, all that. But first, we're going to talk underwear because that's what we do. Mizzou fans, how would you like to make your mark on the world while your Tigers do it on the field? All you have to do is switch your underwear to Mark Skid, the new eco-friendly underwear company. Started by one of you, a Mizzou fan, with a call to action to make your mark on the world. Mark Skid believes all brands, not just underwear, should have the same qualities as the people we admire. A sense of humor in the brand's cheeky name. Have you ever said the word cheeky, Mitchell? Uh, I, I have, but I don't think it's been in reference to underwear. Well, it, it is fitting. So uh, <laughs> you find the humor in the brand's cheeky name, the character in the way they're made with luxurious organic Pima cotton and one upcycled water bottle in each waistband, and the purpose in the $4 donated on your behalf to a four-star charity dedicated to save, feed, and cure the world. One pair of underwear can provide safe drinking water to a person for seven years, feed a child in the developing world for 12 days, or vaccinate two children. Let's make our mark on the world this season. Use the checkout code POWERMAZOO at markskid.com. That is M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com for 15% off of your first order and free shipping in the United States. This week's podcast also sponsored by Track Your Implants, and we will let you know about them just a few minutes down the road. All right, so we will talk Mizzou-Purdue in a few minutes, but first we are going to look a little elsewhere around the SEC, and to do that, I don't know if it's the best game in the SEC. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not the best game in the SEC, but I didn't want to talk about LSU and Auburn this week, so we are going to talk a little Ole Miss-Alabama and Neil McCready from rebelgrove.com taking a few minutes between – the 47 podcast he records every day to jump on with us. So, Neil, thanks. Gabe, <laughs> yeah, it's good to be with you. Yeah, so uh, actually later today, uh, Neil and I are recording a podcast with J.G. Tate. Uh, this is put on your put on your football guy hat for about 15 minutes. We'll actually talk football, Neil. Okay. 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 So, uh, first off, uh, Southern Illinois just scored again. Um, <laughs> yeah, my, my football hat, my football hat can't. It can't find the end. It can't find a way to stop another hat from scoring. Yeah. Uh, listen, we, we know about, like, I watched uh, in the season opener last year, Missouri plays Missouri State and gives up 35 points in the first half. And I just came out of that game going, guys, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like, the defense is a problem. That doesn't happen if the defense isn't a problem. Now, I know right. that Ole Miss fans knew the defense could be a problem, but 38 points to Southern Illinois in the first half, like, they couldn't have thought it was that big a problem. No, and you you know, all right. So we've got fifteen minutes, and so I'll 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 attempt to <laughs> con- I'll attempt to condense this. This is the problem with the state of uh, modern media, Mitchell. I suspect your dad would agree with this. You have people who spend the entire off season telling fans what fans want to hear because that increases their individual popularity. We all want to be told. I mean, I want, I'd love to like see a line of, of uh, beautiful women outside that says, "You look really handsome today, Neil." I would be, I would be excited about that. That would be great to hear. However, there would come a moment where I'd have to go out into a into a an environment where I, I would be around other uh, other men, and it would become 
quickly obvious that I am not one of the more <laughs> handsome of those men, and that would be uh, quite disappointing. And so that's uh, that's sort of where Ole Miss is. There was a a concerted effort by a handful of media types to say that two things: one, that oh no, they've they fixed it. This year two of this defense will be a, a, a much different deal, and two. A little bit of a, well, it can't be worse. And those are famous last words because it can always <laughs> be worse. Bob and, or Buddy Bell once famously said that about Royals baseball. Yeah, I mean, it can always get worse. When people go, well, that's, that's the worst loss you can suffer. No, there's a way to get worse. <laughs> it, 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 it's there. And, and so for Ole Miss, I would say, when people would say that, I would say, you know, here, here's my thing. Is year two, from a continuity standpoint, you know, theoretically better than year one, sure. But here's the problem. Breland Speaks is a really good football player. He's playing for the Kansas City Chiefs now. He, he He's a very good football player, and Breland Speaks was on that defense a year ago. Um, Marquise Haynes is a very good football player, was one of, statistically, one of the better pass rushers in the SEC over the last four years. Marquise Haynes is with the Carolina Panthers now. Those, those kind of people, the Panthers, the Chiefs, they just don't employ the, the local dude at Walmart. I mean, they go find guys who can play. DeMarcus Gates, a year ago, had 119 tackles for Ole Miss. That's a lot of tackles. Uh, Taylor Polk, who was a, a very physically limited guy, played a lot of football for Ole Miss the last couple of years because he was one of the few guys on that defense who could consistently get in the right place. All of those guys were gone, and they weren't replaced by any elite talent coming in. And so when people would say, well, they can't get worse, I'd say, I don't see how they don't get worse replacing talent. And then if you had told me in the summer that Jalen Jones, easily the best cornerback, best defensive back on their roster, would tear his ACL in the first half of the first game, I would have said, oh, man, they're, they're in deep trouble. And sure enough, on Saturday, they give up 600 and, I don't know, 30 yards or something Ooh. around there, give or, wow. give or take a couple of yards. Wow. They gave up 38 points. Um, uh, Southern Illinois, again, fellas, Southern Illinois had the football six times in the first half on Saturday. Six possessions. Their punter had the half off. They scored five <laughs> touchdowns and a field goal in six possessions, 384 yards of offense in a half. And so when you say, well, what happened? Well, that's not difficult to figure out when that happens. And people try to explain it away. Well, they weren't focused. Stop. Yep. Or they weren't, they, it was, they weren't in the right place. Their eyes weren't in the right place. <laughs> well, that happens on a play or two plays where a linebacker gets misaligned or something. But for an entire half of football, no, that's a lack of talent. That's a lack of speed. That's a lack of size. There were people who, when Ole Miss played their first game in all-white uniforms, there were fans who said, man, I hate those uniforms. That They make our guys look small. <laughs> Being and small makes say, your guys look small. <laughs> yeah, and I would say, no, no, no. Being small makes your yeah. guys look small. And so it's just – it is what it is. It is this incredible disparity on this roster. There's a lot of elite offensive talent. They can score in bunches, and defensively, it, it is it is really it is really rough. They don't have talent. They don't have depth. 
Um, it, you know, and this is this is Texas Tech and now Southern Illinois that have that have had their way with them. Um, you know, the the schedule I dare say gets precipitously harder. Yeah, <laughs> I will see the Florida Mitchell here in a minute after I dispute one thing you said. The Chiefs actually did trade Marcus Peters for I think a number of guys who were actually working at Walmart, all of whom are now playing on their defense, but. <laughs> This is another story, so I will I will let Mitchell yeah. go on. Yeah, that's details, Gabe. Details. Yeah, yeah Neil, you, you mentioned the uh, the fan expectations. You know, coming into the season, I, I mean, like the the Texas Tech game, you know, can't have kind of you know helped in that. I mean, it helped us in the fans' expectations, but helped with you know reasonableness. Um, you know, I, I didn't watch much of that game. I know Texas Tech moved the ball decently well, but that's an explosive offense holding them to, to 27 points. Uh, do, do you think kind of that also a lot of fans are still pointing to that, like that's the, uh, the, the team Ole Miss can be and trying to say that the Southern Illinois game is more of an outlier? Uh, yeah, you know, because we all try to rationalize anything. Um, and, and, and look, there's, there's something to be said for that. Perhaps Texas Tech uh, lost their quarterback in that game. He got – he. Uh, high ankle sprain first quarter they had to bring in a backup who'd been splitting backup reps so it took them a little while to get going but even texas tech had two quarters where they drove the ball kind of up and down the field they scored points yes Ole miss's defense came up with a couple of big stops absolutely they they did some good things in that game but there were warning signs in that game and texas tech is not going to go uh blitzkrieg the big 12 it's not it's going to go it's a four and eight type of team, and and so it was. It, it's a win that if if Ole Miss fans want to cling to, they can. Uh, they're they're you know I mean, Ole Miss's offense was very good that day. Ole Miss's offense was very good against Southern Illinois. I mean, it was exceptionally good against Southern Illinois. It is a very good offense. If that's what they want to cling to, then they, there's a lot of meat on that bone. But if there's this rationalization that's that's attempting to go on that this is a team that defensively is going to to find ways to stop people. There's there's just no there's no evidence at all to support that. Here's the stat for you. Ole Miss has given up 288 rushing yards after contact so far this year. <laughs> so they there tackle are, well. There are yeah, they tackle very well. So there's sixty-eight teams in whatever we call it, division one or whatever. Sixty-eight teams that haven't even rushed for two hundred and eighty eight <laughs> yards. Well, well, uh, so yeah, you mentioned the schedule gets a little bit more difficult. Um, Alabama's in Oxford this Saturday night, and uh, in the most unfair development in college football, I think Nick Saban has a really good quarterback for the first time in a long time. Yeah, the rumor is Alabama's good. <laughs> yeah, I've um, heard, yeah. That's, that's the that's the that's what's kind of going around in the interwebs is that they have some talent there. Um, and they're, they're exceptionally talented and this is the best quarterback they've had. Uh, I mean, I worked in that state for 10, 11 years. It's the best quarterback they've had there since I can remember. Um, I mean, he's, he's, he can beat you with his feet. He can beat you with his brains. He can beat you with his arm. He makes very good decisions. He sees the field incredibly well can uh, can take advantage of, of opportunities and if you go look at some of the pro football focused stats on him his uh his ability to be precise and his ability to to, to uh pick up blitz and all of those things it's it's next level and then alabama's very good up front through two games he's been hurried eight times that's it hurried not yeah. hit hurried eight times and uh when you blitz with on him and Ole Miss almost has to 
when you blitz on him, if you don't get to him, you get these one-on-one matchups with five-star wide receivers against your, your slow corners. And that typically doesn't work out well. So I, I don't, I don't know. It's funny, man. All, all these people in Alabama, because it's, Football must be so dramatic there at all times. It's a requirement. You must make every game a soap opera. Are trying to come up with all of these ways that Ole Miss would win the game, <laughs> and and it's it's. Someone asked me today. The question was in Mobile. They knew I was a big Cubs fan, and they said, "What's a better chance, the Cubs winning the World Series or Ole Miss beating Alabama?" And I was like, "Really? Not even." Close. I mean, I know the I know the Cubs aren't playing particularly well in September, but you know they do have a one game lead in their mm-hmm. division with. With you know half with uh, half a month left, so I mean, it, while it's not likely that the Cubs are going to win the World Series, it's it's conceivable. I mean, I can draw up a scenario in which the Cubs win the World Series. I can't even fathom a scenario in which Ole Miss beats Alabama. I'll be honest, the line at twenty one points, I think is, I think it's low. I think mean, it, it's potentially stunningly low. Um, so it, it's it, it's. It's why for Ole Miss, it's it's a real it's it's just it's just a challenging week on their schedule. There are some games on their schedule where, you know, I I think they could go down and outscore LSU, for example. I think they could could trick LSU into playing a kind of game that LSU doesn't want to play. Um, you know, maybe you jump ahead fourteen to three, and LSU kind of gives up the run game and starts trying to throw, and then all of a sudden you, you have a, a big lead and you hold on. I could draw that scenario out and make it possibly work uh, but but beating Alabama I, I can't get there I, I believe we've had some questions Mitchell about the pro football focus grades and some curiosities about why some of them are a little low I believe two is great on po- pro football focus is 257 <laughs> right yeah. now so yeah uh, I mean uh like you said Neil like it's just not not gonna like Ole Miss is, is not gonna win this game but when you look at it what is maybe the best case scenario for Ole Miss like what what is something that could happen in this game that that you you know you take away from it and say all right you know maybe that that was a positive it wasn't all bad yeah um I, I think I think the first thing is no one talks about it is that the offense continues to be explosive against a very good team uh that they continue to run the ball against a very good team they ran the football um 200 and some odd yards against Texas Tech. Uh, Scotty Phillips had 100 and something against Southern Illinois. Uh, maybe he, you know, puts up 90 yards rushing. Maybe as a team they get over 100 yards, 120 yards rushing. Um, Jordan Tamu continues to play very clean football. They, they score some points. Maybe they get into the 20s, maybe even into the upper 20s against Alabama. And then, you know, on the defensive side, maybe, maybe there just is – I would like to see them, if I were an Ole Miss fan, what I would like to see from them is, okay, you know you can't match them physically, but match them mentally. Play a clean game defensively where you are in the right place at the right time. You don't bite on every play fake. You stay in coverage, and and you make them earn it. And, and yeah, you get beat, but you go back, and that enables you, Mitchell, to go into into the – locker room and into the film room and into the meeting room after that and where a coach can say okay that's the best team we're going to see all year if we'll play that clean we're going to have chances to win games we're not going to play another team of that depth of that caliber of that talent the rest of the way and so I think there are things that you can build on on a game like this I mean if you told me Ole Miss lost you know let's say 42 to 24 an 18-point loss, where that sounds bad defensively, but if all of those plays, if all of those points came as a result of 
Tua Tungavaloa and that Alabama offense just playing well and executing, but you being in the right place and just not being able to physically match them, I think you could build off that. I already have visions of Bama leading 42-10 and Nick Saban blowing his gasket over a false start with six (laughs) minutes left. Uh, You'll enjoy this story. So uh, Bama came to Columbia in 2012. Uh, Eddie Lacy went 75 yards on the first play. It was out of hand in the first quarter, and there was a a two-hour lightning delay, so that was awesome. But uh, during the... During the delay, some of the media happened to be standing down kind of under the bleachers, and you could overhear, if you were standing in the right place, some things coming out of the Missouri locker room. And and I can't say for sure who said it, but somebody said, you know, I know they're good, but you're making them look like they're the best team ever. And I'm like, well, I mean, you know, they're they're all right. <laughs> There's no shame in, in Alabama looking like the best team ever. <laughs> But, they, um, they just have so much talent. But anyway, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, uh, they, they do every year. And so, look, I know you tend to pay attention to a lot more than just what happens in Oxford. So we'll just finish up with this. Like, we're two weeks into the season, Neil. And tell me I'm wrong. Like, just start the college football playoff. Alabama's in it. Clemson's in it. Oklahoma's in it. And the last spot's going to come down to probably Georgia, Auburn, or somebody out of the Big Ten. Like, can we get something that I don't know is already going to happen after two weeks? I agree, and I think it's what's wrong with college football. I do. It's it's not exciting. I mean, if you look at the SEC right now, um, like like I think Missouri's a good team. I love Locke. He's terrific. Um, you know, I thought South Carolina would be a good team, and they, they probably will end up being a, quote, good team. They have no chance against Georgia. Right. That's no fun. Look, Auburn's a really good team with a good quarterback. Stidham's good. He's not Drew Locke good, but he's good. Their defensive front seven might be as good as Alabama's. Hell, it might even be better than Alabama's. They're not beating Alabama. They're not going to Georgia and winning. I mean, you're right. I mean, you're going to get maybe the Georgia-Auburn winner, you know, uh, ghost. Maybe Georgia beats Auburn and then loses to Alabama in the championship game and still gets in as the four. And I, I don't know. But, yeah, there's not a lot of drama. Oklahoma looks good. There's a couple of good teams in the Big Ten, but they always kind of look good, and then they sort of beat each other up because none of them are really all that much different than the rest. And um, There's nobody out west that looks like that. And, and you know, Clemson, Clemson looks like Clemson, and the, and the ACC's terrible. So there, there's just not a lot of drama. And I don't think it's good for the sport. I mean, you know, we you go back to the – the silly Cubs analogy for a minute, as bad as the Cubs have been, I could paint a scenario for the Cubs you know, hanging on, winning the Central. I could paint a scenario for Milwaukee going to the World Series. I could paint a scenario for Atlanta going to the World Series. Arizona, Colorado, um, Los Angeles. If we're we're going to do a little... separate podcast where you paint the scenario <laughs> for the Cardinals going yeah. to the World yeah, Series. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I could get the Cardinals there, but I could make the Cardinals interesting. Yeah. I could t- I could make the Cardinals play a wild card game against the Cubs, for example, where Flaherty pitches well, gives them four or five innings, and then Carlos Martinez comes in and lights out for a couple innings, and it's a two inning game, and St. Louis wins a wild card game, and then they're in the division series against Milwaukee, and you know who knows? I mean, you, that's my point is is that you can at least if you're a Cardinals fan. You can, while you acknowledge that, it's probably not likely. You, you can fantasize a little bit. and It's not just out of control. 
if you're a Missouri fan, you can't. I mean, you're well, kidding yourself. You can't, can't go. Hey, yeah, we're gonna make the we're gonna make the playoff. No, you're not. Right. I mean, you're not. But, and, and you can't assemble the talent to do it. And the whole system is just to me, it's boring. I mean, I get yeah. paid to cover it, and so I'm not trying to make fun of it. But if I weren't paid to cover it, I don't know how much college football really I would watch because there aren't that many matchups that truly have an impact on a championship. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to this. Butler doesn't happen in college football. That That's not possible in right. college football. But, uh, right. Neil, excellent, uh, excellent use of the Big Ten beating each other up, and we'll get you out of here on that, man. All right, guys. Talk to you soon. <laughs> All right. We'll see you. Thanks, Neil. Neil McCready, rebelgrove.com. Uh, one of the guys I enjoy talking to in this network, certainly. Um, and look, like, really, he's right. It, mm-hmm. It's it's week three, and there are maybe nine teams I can argue have a chance. I, I actually listened to the podcast that your dad does with Dan Wetzel, and Wetzel brought up a really good point. Boise State's at Oklahoma State this week. College football needs Boise State to win that game and go 13-0 and to at least give us the possibility that we can talk about they deserve to get in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, you know, last season showed us, even if they are undefeated, it, it's just not going to happen. Getting. I mean, yeah, right. as, as Central Florida didn't. And, like, uh, just the way we, you know, we talk about Alabama in this game, it just kind of shows you just the imbalance. I mean, like, Ole Miss is, is a, you know, traditionally solid SEC team. They're way in the upper echelon of FBS teams, and we're talking about uh, maybe they can score 20 points and yeah. run for 100 yards against Alabama and not lose by 100. Like, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. You know, there's, like – well, there's three or four teams that play at a different level, and then Alabama that which plays yeah. at a different level of all those. And I, I agree. I mean, it's just like it is. It can get kind of boring. I think if they played a ten game series, Clemson might win three or four against Alabama. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody else in college football would win that many. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you know, you know, you never know. Georgia in the next you know few years might have a chance. I mean, but, Georgia can beat them on the uh, right day. I yeah. just don't think they can beat them in. Yeah, no, you're right, it, and it is. I mean, it's you know, it's, we've seen the same thing for what now ten years. Uh, so yeah. I definitely I've been, you know, one kind of uh, a little bit of a changing of the guard or even just, you know, giving giving more teams a, a realistic chance. As Neil said, I thought he uh, he broke it down well. Well, and we'll move on to Purdue in just a minute. But real quickly, like, I don't think he's going to do it. I don't think Nick Saban is this type of coach. If he wanted to, I think Alabama could score 100 against Ole Miss's defense. <laughs> I, I almost want to say Nick Saban is that type of coach. I mean, he doesn't want people talking about it, so he won't right. get there. But he does want to, I mean, like, just probably from the losses he's had to Ole Miss, you know, four and six he, years ago, he probably still wants to just drub their fans into <laughs> non-existence. I think he but, would do it against certain teams. I think he would do it against Auburn, yeah. against a and I don't think he'd do it against Ole Miss. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think he will either because, I mean, they're just – so much better this year but yes i agree if if he wanted to i I would i would guess they could score 100 before we move on to mizzou purdue the power podcast has officially hit the big time that is multiple sponsorships for one show TrackMyImplants.com is our newest sponsor. Medical technology is moving as fast as your smartphones. More and more people are receiving medical device implants such as knees, shoulders, hernia mesh, pacemakers, and others. These devices are saving lives, but just like car parts, they can also have recalls. If you or a friend has a device with a recall, you need to know immediately. Visit TrackMyImplants.com to learn more and have peace of mind with notifications in real time. Once again, that is trackmyimplants.com. So enough about Ole Miss and Alabama. I'm sure that was riveting. I'm sure we've lost half of our <laughs> original 12 listeners. But for the six of you who are still here, we're finally going to talk Mizzou Purdue now. We're going to talk with Matt Stevens from goldenblackillustrated.com. Matt, what's going on, man? 
Not much. How are you guys doing? Not too bad. Appreciate you uh, taking some time. And so I guess the easiest way I can ask this, what is Purdue? Are they 0-2 or are they a much better team that had two stupid penalties at really bad times? They're not very good at football. Um, <laughs> like That's what Purdue is. And, and there's a lot of people around here that want to blame the penalties. And look, and, and, and the mental mistakes and the turnovers that happened against Northwestern and, and Eastern Michigan, that's legit. They are stupid penalties. They did make silly mistakes. They did have relatively stupid turnovers um, in the first half against Northwestern. And they have lost two games by a combination of five or by a, uh, a total of five points. Um, they were supposed to at least be one and one though. Um, fans and athletic administrations, as you guys both know, call guarantee games, guarantee games for different reasons. Administrations call them guarantee games because they have to pay a guaranteed number to the non-power five school. Fans call them guaranteed games because you're supposed to be guaranteed a win. And when you're a two-touchdown underdog against the middle-of-the-road MAC team that has only has never, um, before last year, had never beaten a Big Ten team in 38 uh, you know, times uh, that they've played in school history, uh, you're supposed to beat that team. You're supposed to beat them pretty handedly in order to get yourself mentally back right after you miss an opportunity on a nationally televised audience in the opener. And none of that happened against Eastern Michigan. And, and this team sits 0-2, knowing now that the last 10 games of the season will be more difficult than what they saw on Saturday. And so smart people who follow Purdue, and there are a lot of them, I give them a lot of credit, cannot point to a game now on the rest of the schedule that they can feel good about Purdue winning. And if things don't change, and, and I mean in a hurry, Purdue could start 0-4 in these four home games, and that, that's a death knell to Jeff Brown's second season. Matt, you mentioned the the penalties, and I, I saw uh, something on Twitter this week saying basically Je- uh, Jeff Brom came out and said anyone who commits a penalty is getting removed from the game or something like that, or even if uh, it's not called a penalty and we think it could have been, they'll, they'll get taken out. First of all, feel free to explain that further if I missed it. My understanding is very limited to what I saw on Twitter. But secondly, do, do, you, do you take that as maybe a sign that, that Jeff Brom is, I don't know, I, I mean, obviously he's, he's you know desperate, but do you feel like he's uh, he's kind of – almost losing uh, control of the of the team? No, I don't I don't feel the back half of that is happening. I do feel like if somebody does commit a personal foul penalty, they're going to come out of the game for a while. And that's basically what he's talking about. If he he's talking about the the penalty that happened against um, Lorenzo Neal at the end of the Northwestern game, right. the penalty that happened against Cornell Jones practically at the end of uh, the uh, the Eastern Michigan game. If you do something like that, that is the combination of selfish and stupid you will come out of the game. And, and and to me, that's Jeff Brom sitting up there saying in a press conference what really doesn't need to be said. And, and quite honestly, you know, if it hadn't have been at the end of the game, Lorenzo Neal would have come out of the game after that penalty. If it hadn't have been after – if it hadn't have been at the – basically at the, at the immediate part of the game, Cornell Jones would have come out of the game. If you, get a per, if you get a pass interference call, if you get a holding call, you're not coming out of the game. But if you get a personal foul penalty and you, get, you do something stupid – to uh, cost Purdue another victory, which is a lo- how a lot of people view these first two games. Yeah, you're you're going to sit next, you know, next to the coaches and next to you know reserve players for a while because I, I honestly believe I don't know if Jeff Rom I don't agree that Jeff Rom has lost this team because when you win nine games over a four year stretch before you get here and then you win seven in your first year, you have a lot of credibility and a lot mm-hmm. of clout already put in the bank. 
he's starting to use that now and saying, hey, look, if you're not going to be part of this, and, and quite honestly, Lorenzo Neal is one of the co-captains on this football team, and I think Jeff Brom sees a lot of problems with the leadership in terms of the locker room on this football team, and he's trying to nip this in the bud right now. I asked a lot of coaches this week, doesn't it have to come from the players in the locker room? And a lot of them said, well, we'd like for it to, but if it's not going to, we're going to do it ourselves. And that's kind of what he's kind of trying to bring after two weeks of, of watching what he, what he just is fed up watching, quite frankly. And, and, and that's just stupid penalties, selfish behavior, and, and, and a Purdue team that's not acting like they, they, they want to turn the corner and, and be a competitive football program right now. All right, so Matt, I watched most of both of Purdue's first two games, and I'm watching this team thinking – Here's the path to success for this football team. Hand the ball to JJ Knox or DJ Knox as many times as you can. If he gets tired, hand the ball to Markel Jones as many times as you can. I am sold Purdue has two really good running backs. I am not sold Purdue has one good quarterback. And I guess my question in this is Jeff Brom has always been known for this this up tempo, spread it out, throw the ball around offense. Is Jeff Brom prepared to, I guess, change and say, I'm going to hand the ball off. I'm going to win games with my running game uh, because hey, you correct me if I'm wrong. You know more about them than I do, but that to me looks like the way Purdue can win. It is the way that Purdue is going to have to find a way to win on Saturday night. If you want to, if you want to basically put the put the spotlight on Saturday night, I do not feel like Jeff Brom. I think Jeff Brom has to go against everything that he brought. He said he was going to bring to Purdue in order to win on Saturday night, and that's play ball control, win, win time of possession at least two to one, and keep Drew Locke and those wide receivers on the sideline as much as possible. That is not how he wants this Purdue program to be built in the future. That is not how he wanted this Purdue program to be built in the immediate. But um, they, have an, they have a veteran offensive line. They have two good running backs, you're correct. They have the opportunity to be able to do things in the run game and in the short passing game with Rondell Moore uh, and, and Jared Sparks. They can go on long drives, I think, if they want to. They've gotten into the red zone uh, as many times as anybody in the country, and the, but they have one of the worst red zone percentage uh, uh, touchdown percentages in, in the country. So they have to go on long drives, get in the red zone, convert, do not do something stupid in terms of penalties to set you back and make it a second and long, third and long situation. That's the only way I see Purdue winning this football game on Saturday. But going forward, I still feel like Jeff Brom needs to address the, the, the a main issue on this football team, which is you, you sold everything. You, when you came to Purdue, you sold everybody in this program on how you were going to throw the ball down the field and you were going to have deep, you know, deep completions down the field, just like you did at Western Kentucky. And they're not doing that. And, and they're certainly not even attempting to do it when David Blau is behind center. So if Eliza Sindelar is your quarterback going forward, and I do think there is a lot of arm talent there, he has got to, A, a not throw the ball to the other team, and B, start building back that confidence that he just lost in the first 30 minutes of this season against Northwestern in throwing the deep ball down the middle of the field because they feel like with the two tight ends that they have, Bryson Hopkins um, and Cole Herdman, along with three wide receivers, Jared Sparks, Isaac Zico, and Rondell Moore, they have options for a quarterback to be able to spread the ball around in the passing game. But throughout two weeks, they lost all confidence to do it after the first half of the Northwestern game, and then there was a complete downpour in West Lafayette. But – Eastern Michigan managed to throw it for over 300 yards. And I, I just think a lack of confidence in Elijah Sindelar 
in his head and, and a coaching staff's lack of confidence in David Wild being able to throw the ball down the field has completely changed the dynamic of this Purdue offense. Yep, definitely uh, want to avoid throwing the ball to the other team. Um, <laughs> Matt, uh, you mentioned him a, a couple times, but uh, Rondale Moore, the, the true freshman, he uh, you know he kind of captivated everyone in that Northwestern game, setting a, a Purdue record for, for uh, total yardage in his very first college game. Um, obviously, you know, we've heard a lot about him this week. What, what is kind of the, in your mind, the blueprint for stopping him? Uh, first of all, I don't know if he's hundred percent healthy because he certainly didn't get as many snaps and he, and he certainly didn't get as many touches against Eastern Michigan. And that could be a byproduct of the offense just being completely scatterbrained on Saturday, or it could be a, a product of him not being healthy, um, hundred percent healthy. But if he is hundred percent healthy, uh, what, what you've got to basically do if you're a defense is, is get off. It, it sounds elementary, but get off blocks because if you do not get off blocks, two things are going to happen. Either it's going to be a clear path to wherever they're going to throw him or hand him the football, or you're basically putting way too much pressure on your backside of the defense. Because as you saw in the 50 yarder that he took on the jet sweep, Eastern Michigan had no backside protection. And he basically just reversed field and, made it a video game, and, and if Jared Sparks, his own wide receiver, hadn't practically tackled him, I don't know if he doesn't go all the way to the end zone. So um, there's, there's, you cannot basically have more than five or six guys follow the football if Rondell Moore has it, because if he reverses field like he can, and he is one of the fastest players on this Purdue roster, he can take it all the way, you know, basically in reverse field and make you look foolish. So you have to have solid defensive fundamental tackling uh, in the first place. And in the second place, until a Jared Sparks and until an Isaac Zico prove otherwise that they can be a big-time go-to receiver, you might just want to roll a safety over to, over his way. And it, Or, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't like the idea of taking a linebacker and trying to double him with a linebacker because that's just a flat mismatch. But you might want to roll somebody over in the middle of the field toward Rondell Moore and make sure that Elijah Sindelar or or David Blau, whoever's behind center, has to basically go to a second or a third option because you're just taking number four completely out of the game plan. There is a way to do that with a player like Rondell Moore because they will not snap him the football and force feed it to him. But there, but it, it's it's becoming completely obvious to me that if Purdue wants a big play, they basically got to look at number four first, second, and probably third for that to happen. I wanted on the record. I left the Rondell Moore question to Louisville native Mitchell Forty. <laughs> I, I knew that was. I, I. I. It took a little longer than I expected. But uh, no, I want to flip that question for you now, Matt. So it, Missouri hasn't run the ball all that well in its first two games, but it hasn't right. had to. Um, I mean, Drew Locke has has more than covered that up. I would not suggest that the recipe for a team that's going to slow down Missouri's passing game is give up three hundred yards to Eastern Michigan the week before because. I don't know who Eastern Michigan's quarterback is, but I think I, I feel safe saying Drew Locke is better. Uh, can this Purdue team? Do you think? Do you think they've got the personnel or the scheme to to slow lock down? I know they did it last year. I think this is a different Missouri team, but can they slow lock down and at least force Missouri to win in a way that that maybe isn't Missouri's first choice if that's what it comes to? Boy, they thought so before last Saturday afternoon. Um, and as you guys know, we're now getting the pro football focus college data mm-hmm. over here at Rivals. And there's a staff that I, I still can't wrap my head around. But if you look, according to the PFF guys, if you look at Purdue's top three corners, okay, Antonio Blackman, Tim Kaysan, and uh, uh, Diedrich Mackey, okay, 
Eastern Michigan was 15 of 16 completing passes against those three guys. That's hard to do against air, fellas. I'm sorry, but like they were 10 of 10 against Antonio Blackman, who has not lost his starting cornerback job. Tim Kaysen has lost his starting quarterback job, but that doesn't matter against Missouri, in my view, because you're going to have three or four guys out there anyway. Um, it's amazing to me how, like, how basically easy Eastern Michigan completed passes. And, guys, you need to understand, uh, up until Saturday, last Saturday afternoon, this Purdue team thought their strength was in the back secondary <laughs> on defense because everybody up front in the front seven – short of Marcus Bailey and Lorenzo Neal was either playing their first college football game or getting their first college start um, in the season opener against Northwestern. They had a whole bunch of concerns about what they were going to do up front in the front seven. The back four or five, they were like, hey, we got seniors back there. We're good back there. We just think they're going to have to cover too long. And Eastern Michigan flat exposed those guys for what they are, which is Antonio Blackman's a former walk-on. Tim Kaysen's a fifth-year senior that has struggled to, to maintain his starting spot in his entire Purdue career. And then you've got two redshirt freshmen and Diedrich Mackey and Kenneth Major, who um, Kenneth Major will probably get the start over Tim Kaysen this Saturday. But um, you've got two redshirt freshmen that, that have played their first two college games. So, you know, Nick Holt looked at this defense and said, I think I'm going to be okay in the back. I don't know what I'm going to do up front. And that completely flipped. And I, I talked to him. The other day, he just said, look, these guys just did everything the opposite that we've been teaching them for the last month and a half. And he says, and it was just weird. And we had to get them over the next two days to go, guys, you just kind of made this up as you were going along on Saturday, and we don't understand what, what the heck you were doing. Um, just do what we were teaching you to do, and, and I, we think you'll be fine. But but this is the – when you're coming off a game like this, from a mental standpoint and a confidence standpoint like they did against Eastern Michigan – I personally believe, guys, that Missouri is the worst matchup they could have possibly seen because you're trying to get confidence back into your defensive backs the next week after exactly what happened, and, and that's just not the recipe to do that with with, with Drew Locke and, and, and what he's been doing numbers-wise, completing balls over 20 yards. Now, you mentioned earlier, you know, after losing to a team like Eastern Michigan, it's hard to look at any game on, on Purdue's schedule and say, I feel good about them winning that um, but, but when you look at, you know, obviously you mentioned they, they start, this is their third of fourth, uh, third of four games to open the season at home. And then they go into big 10 play. They play Boston college next week. Then they go into big 10 play. And even though the big Ten's not exactly murderers row, I mean, they they, they draw some of the better teams in the big 10, I think Ohio state and Michigan state and Wisconsin. Uh, do you feel like, you know, it might be safe to say if they, if they don't win this one, that, that you can almost throw the postseason out the window? Yes. No doubt about it. Um, and and it, I feel like I ought to say this. I, I really think this is the season in which Jeff Brom's first season gets him in trouble a little bit. Not by he's on a hot seat or anything like that. Mike Bubinski has been very adamant that they're, they're committed to what Jeff Brom is bringing to this program, not only with, you know, philosophy-wise, but also on the recruiting trail. And you guys can see that in the rivals numbers um, for the 2019 class. So he's not in any trouble. But he just did this backwards, quite honestly. I mean, it, if let's assume that, say, they go 3-9 and nine or 2-10 and 10 this year, okay? If that would have been year one, and then year two is 7-6, and six, then everybody's feeling great about the Jeff Brom era, you know, out, even outside of Tippecanoe County in, in, in Indiana. Um, 
But he's doing this backwards. He went seven and six, and now he could go two and ten or three and nine. And that's that's not exactly how you are supposed to be doing this, except for the idea that the record's the same no matter what. But but yeah, I mean, this was the year in which Purdue was going to start out with three with four straight home games, maybe go three and one uh, in, in those first three four four home games have a road game against Nebraska and you have no idea what Scott Frost was going to have, you know, in those first you know month and a half of the season with, with the Cornhuskers in his first season. So a lot of people felt good about this. Plus they're in the big 10 West guys. And as you guys know, it's kind of like being in the sec East. You're not in the murderer's row division of the big 10. Purdue was trumpeted as, as one of the possibilities to, to challenge Wisconsin in the big 10 West. Well, that's out the door. If, if you can't, you know, you know, win any of your first four home games, and you start out zero and four, and now you got to go to Nebraska for a road game. And you start out this, you know, start out this Big Ten season as an offer. At that point, guys, the only game that you can feel good about is the game where a winless Purdue team could go up against a two-win Illinois team, and what I what I would certainly at that point call the toilet bowl in Champagne. <laughs> and so that becomes that becomes the reality if you're a Purdue fan at this point that that if you can't get at least one or maybe even both of these wins against Missouri and Boston College, you can kiss a bowl game goodbye right right then and there. And, and, and now you're just trying to maybe play, play um, you know, the upset role throughout the entire rest of the Big Ten schedule. Well, I call that a good first season followed by crashing back to earth. I call that the Frank Haith approach. Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't generally turn out very well. But uh, it, we'll finish this up, Matt. Uh, understand you have not been in, in West Lafayette a long time, just just got the job there this summer. So I, I'm not sure how, uh, how much of town you have seen. But for Missouri fans making the trip, uh, what should they do Friday night and what should they do Saturday before uh, what will be a 7.30 game? Because, yes, Missouri fans – Purdue is in the Eastern time zone. I forget every time I drive that direction, but you will cross into Eastern time. Yeah, for all the uh, – I grew up a fan of the 500, and I, I, I hated what I called Indiana time growing up in East Central Illinois. So Triple um, X is basically where you're going to hit your lunch spot. Um, it's a weird-looking joint. Um, I'm a little uncomfortable going to a place <laughs> called Triple X for lunch. I'm not going to lie, Matt. I, you just – spoke exactly the same words that Jeff Brom spoke when he got here <laughs> okay. to, uh, to West Lafayette. And, and I'll be honest with you guys, I, I, I see the Brom and the Brom family is hard to miss in West Lafayette. I see them all the time over there. Um, if you want to, if you want to feel a little bit more better, there's, there's basically a sister restaurant that's owned by the same people called route 66, which is right over where I live. Um, and it's the same thing. Um, they have a they they have a I don't remember who the burger. It's not the Drew Brees, but the Drew Brees is really good too burger. But um, if you uh, if you get the burger with peanut butter on it, I actually mm-hmm. like that. Um, if it's not your cup of tea, they have a whole bunch of like it's it's a really good diner place. Um, the best place you can go to get in let's say an adult beverage is is actually called a chocolate shop, which is kind of weird too. I mean, Purdue has these Purdue <laughs> the Purdue campus is kind of like. They named things wrong. Essentially. Yeah. The, the bar it, is it, it a was, candy shop, and the best restaurant's a porn place. We got it, man. <laughs> right? Exactly. I mean, it's kind of like Ole Miss when you go to the library. Like, right. that's not. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I make jokes about all the time when I lived in Mississippi that I saw Andy Kennedy a whole bunch at the library. Like, yeah. I mean, that's that's that was that was commonplace. Um, they just named things wrong, or maybe I'm thinking looking at it differently, and they named things absolutely right. Um, <laughs> So I don't know, but there's there's a there's a chocolate shop that has the best adult beverages. There's a triple X place that has the best burger, and that's that's where I'm going to point to. 
for Purdue fans to go. And, and what we're hoping for is less uh, a less of a uh, of a downpour and a deluge that we got during the Eastern Michigan weekend, and, and it, because that became basically three four inches of rain and, and miserable throughout the entire day. So um, I'm sure you guys will, will do fine. And, and there's a uh, there's a bevy of, of, of places to uh, to uh, to and not only get an adult beverage, but get a good meal in, in West Lafayette. I promise you. All right, good deal, Matt. Appreciate it, man. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you on Saturday, if not before. Thanks, Matt. Not a problem. See you guys. All right, Matt Stevens, goldandblackillustrated.com. Um, I was going to pick Missouri anyway. <laughs> I might pick Missouri by a lot now yeah. after hearing that. Uh, definitely uh, more than I was. Their initial spread was six and a half. I think, uh, well, I, I know I've made my prediction for, for Saturday's right. preview. I won't spoil it, but I definitely went over that. But by the way, I just want, want for the record that I feel probably more uncomfortable about eating a hamburger with peanut butter on it than eating at a place there, called Triple X. There's a place in Sedalia. <laughs> they call that the Goober Burger. I've, I've had heard, it. I've it's, heard of it's it. It's not bad. I, it's not great. It just seems wrong to me. But uh, so there you go. Mizzou fans, if you want to know, uh, the Power Mizzou crew will be hanging out at Triple X <laughs> all weekend in uh, West Lafayette, Indiana, apparently. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening. Want to once again remind you visit markskid.com, M A R C S K I D.com. Enter the promo code Power Mizzou. You will get 15% off your first order. $4 of every order goes to your choice of four star charities. Markskid.com. Also, want to thank. For the first week, track my implants. That is trackmyimplants.com. Medical technology for those of you who have a pacemaker or some other medical device implanted in your body. You can uh, get that tracked. Find out if there is a recall. Um, I that does not apply to me. It personally sounds like I would want to know if it was recalled. I, I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, so that is markskid.com, M-A-R-C-S-K-I-D.com, trackmyimplants.com. Frankly, I'm not going to spell that for you. I think you can figure it out. So thanks for listening. We'll be back next week, uh, Mizzou and Georgia. Mitchell, did you hear 11 a.m.? Oh, yeah, that's the word. Apparently, uh, it's going to be no fun for anyone. All right, 11 a.m. kickoff. Everything sucks. We'll talk to you next week.